Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. My guest tonight, or whenever you're listening to this, uh, is a fellow incomparable panelist and uh, host uh, sometimes on the Incomparable Network, Don Melton. Don, thank you for joining me. Howdy. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. I'm excited. And, and I don't think I'm ever a host. I'm always a co-host oh. or that annoying guy who talks to them. <laughs> well, I feel like uh, co-host is uh, in the superset of host, right? So ah, yeah, okay. You are, in fact, yeah. <laughs> a host. I think. I don't know. Yes. We'll have to ask Jason. He he probably can tell uh, for sure. Uh, but before we jump into Star Trek, which we're going to, uh, do you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself, Don? Or do you want to be a, a man I'm of mystery? Just, uh, well, they can guess, I suppose. Uh, I'm just an old <laughs> retired guy. Uh, basically, just this curmudgeon that lurks around on the incomparable network. Uh, I used to work at the fruit company in Cupertino and, mm. and did some stuff there, like, oh, Safari and WebKit, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, you know, just little things like that. So yeah. let, let me ask you, this has nothing to do with Star Trek, uh, but retirement. I often think, I want to be retired right now. Uh, I got a nine-to-five job. I, I, I recommend it highly. <laughs> I was going to ask, because sometimes you hear stories of people who retire, and they say, oh, I've got nothing to do, my days aren't structured, it's awful. No, at, well, as you well know, I was playing World of Warcraft <laughs> when you pinged me on top of it, so I have plenty of stuff to waste my time. Uh, no, you know, I, I had... I had absolutely no problem retiring five and a half years ago. It, I am very seldom, if ever, bored. If I'm bored, I take a nap, you know, like a <laughs> like a first grader in the afternoon. Um, I, I don't know. I just I I can't understand that. I and I don't miss the work. I miss the people a lot, but I don't miss the work. Well, that's and a- people always think that's just there's something wrong with you, Don. <laughs> <laughs> and and while that's true, mm-hmm. but uh, not in that particular case. So uh, if you can afford it, swing it, or connive it, uh, retire. I recommend it highly. Man, you heard it here, folks. Retire. <laughs> uh, I would like to retire, but uh, I, I I sometimes fear that I will never retire, which is sad. But let's let's not dwell on that sad fact of my life and talk about Star Trek. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is less sad, uh, generally. Uh, so, Don, we, we talked a little bit, so I know the answer to this question already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, would you consider yourself a Star Trek fan? Oh, sure. Am I <laughs> a crazy, babbling fanatic? No, I'm, I met people like that um, back in the 70s. My introduction to uh, real Star Trek fandom was at, I think, the second or third San Diego Comic-Con uh, back when it was still a Comic Con and it wasn't like a media thing that's mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. like I, I believe it will be next week. Uh, I don't go anymore, but I remember um, two guys who showed up at the Comic Con dressed as Kirk and Spock, and they were pretty damn convincing. And they had an Econoline van painted to look like a uh, shuttlecraft, <laughs> as you do, uh, as you do. And I went, okay. You know, I really like the show, but uh, that's pretty extreme. And I think that was the, I think I think it was the third Comic-Con where DC Fontana came and showed the, uh, the intro to the Star Trek animated series for everybody. And she had to play it like 10 times because everybody in the room, and everybody in the room is like only, a, you know, 100, 
125 people. There weren't a lot of people at Comic-Con uh, uh, back in those days. Uh, just went bad crazy. I mean, they were, uh, <laughs> they thought it was, and I thought it was really cool. Uh, I had watched uh, what we call it now, the original series. Back mm-hmm. then, we just called it Star Trek. <laughs> TOS, the original series. I had watched it um, uh, live uh on uh on uh very bad tvs back in the 60s and uh, when i could i i wasn't able to watch every episode first run because my uh my parents particularly my mom did not approve of that stuff oh so i had to sneak around and do all kinds of crazy to see the show was it too Um, too violent too too racy too strange too different um you know, it was one of those things. And so, uh, you know, she was worried about the the influence. Plus, she had to stay up late to see it. I mean, I was, um, when the Star Trek came uh, came out, I was 67, right? 66 or 67. Yes. And I was only uh, like 10 years old. And so, you know, I still had a curfew. And back third season, when it got moved to uh, 10 o'clock on no night whatsoever, <laughs> Um, as I recall, uh, mm-hmm. that was really bad, uh, because, you know, and my sister was sneaking me around, uh, to, to help me watch it and stuff. <laughs> now see people, of course the third, se- there was a lot of third season that was pretty forgettable, well, but yeah, I was yeah. going to say you, the third season, <laughs> if you're going to miss a season, the third That's season the is a season. good choice. <laughs> yeah. Now the kids, uh, so, the millennials, they're listening. They don't even understand how yeah. <laughs> you couldn't just li- watch it on demand, uh, yeah. on any screen near you. <laughs> yeah. Or as or as like last night on the uh, premiere of Game of Thrones season seven, you know, it's such a weird thing to now uh, having been an original subscriber years and years ago in a different line to, uh, uh, life to HBO. When a show came on HBO, not that they had original shows or anything, you watched it then, damn it, and you held your bladder. Uh, like last night, you know, it's like hit pause on HBO now as much as you want and mm-hmm. back up or whatever. Hey, I missed that dialogue. <laughs> uh, and you know, you have it set on, uh, you'll, you'll back up and then it'll show the subtitles just for the section you missed. Mm-hmm. So you won't miss the dialogue again. I mean, <laughs> it's as if instead of having to pause and go to the bathroom, somebody comes out and does all the stuff and wipes it, wipes you for you. <laughs> But back in those days, back in the 60s, not only did you have to watch it live, we're going to do it live, but the TVs back then were just horrific. I mean, people watch Star Trek. Even I watched the episode that we're going to discuss tonight, uh, A Matter of Honor, on um, Netflix, and it was in high def. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you kids today. Yeah, you don't, you don't get it. Uh, like <laughs> nothing was in focus. Nothing was the right color. <laughs> but it's, it's like the, so it, easy now. It is. It's true. And they remastered. They digitally remastered the original series as well. So they are oh, in yeah. high def. So you can you can see all kinds of things that nobody when they aired it would have ever dreamt of being able to see, or wanted you to see. Oh, it, I, that's there true. was a couple of things I noticed this episode. Uh, <laughs> it's like I'm sure they didn't count on that little detail showing up. So. So that was my, so I became, you know, I was a Star Trek fan uh, for a long time, you know, watched the movies first run. I got, when I was working at the, uh, 
uh, San Jose Murky News as their computer graphics specialist. I convinced my entire uh, graphics team at the Murky News to come and watch um, Encounter at Farpoint at my apartment. This is before I got married and I had a little whole uh, one bedroom apartment and, you know, made snacks and everybody and had everybody show up and see a truly awful episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Uh, when you think sure. about it now, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, so I was a big fan, and uh, and then when DS9 came out, of course, I, I, I didn't watch all of DS9, but uh, I was actually, much, you know, people think this is funny, but I was a much bigger fan of Voyager than I was DS9. I really <laughs> loved the Voyager for some reason, and Enterprise, you know, the last show before we'll get the new one, mm-hmm. never saw it. <laughs> Just well- didn't you know, see it. <laughs> I, some people, uh, the listeners of the show, will know what I'm about to say, and I anger some of them when I say, eh, "You can skip Enterprise; it's fine." <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured. You're not you're not missing much. Uh, I do. I think so. If you like TNG a lot, it makes sense oh, to yeah. me that you like Voyager more than Deep Space Nine because I feel like Voyager is closer to TNG in spirit than it is to DS9. Yeah, DS9 is more like. Um, oh God, um, I, I just blanked on the. And now I'm going to piss off a whole bunch of my other friends. Uh, uh, Babylon 5. It's like Babylon 5. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, it's it's kind of the uh, Star Trek universe uh, version of Babylon 5. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, it was good. Uh, and, of course, uh, TNG, uh, The Next Generation, uh, you know, you had to grit your teeth through the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the episode we're going to be talking tonight is, is a good episode. Um, it started to get better. And... And then the third season, it really, it really started to rock. I thought, and you get some really good television, and uh, it was it's it was totally true. worth the wait. Although my, funny enough, when you asked me to do the show <laughs> the first time, it was like the day before. I'm sitting at dinner with my son, and I'm not talking about a toddler. Uh, the man is like 27 years old now, uh, and he uh, he wasn't around when <laughs> Next Generation was on. He was like. You know, should I watch that show? Because uh, you know, he said I tried watching the fir- first episode and it was just really terrible. And I mm. said, you know what? Just skip the whole first season. <laughs> <laughs> just, just skip that. Read the Wikipedia page, and you know that's fine. Just go, just go into the second season and and get on with it. I'm trying to think. There's not. Uh, you're not missing much uh, in 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 the first season there. If you skip, no. uh, yeah, I can't think of any. Conspiracy is kind of good. It's kind of weird. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> There, there are some moments in the in the first season that, you know, worth it to see, and there's some character development uh, there. You know, the episode we're going to be talking about tonight is not is certainly not my favorite of the uh, the second season. The next episode, episode <laughs> the one after that, is one of my favorites. But you know, the the dice didn't roll for that it one. It is so. a cruel, cruel mistress. The randomness of random yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so that's let's... fine. I'll, I like this one too. Well, this one's good. Let's, so you you already mentioned it. it's a matter of honor, which is second season episode eight. Uh, this is basically uh, kind of uh, casual racism and uh, after school special put together uh, in in form. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it doesn't seem to handle miscegenation as uh, very well or uh, no, no, uh, at all. <laughs> No, racism, is, yes. <laughs> racism, we, we learned an important lesson about racism and how it's bad. Yeah. But uh, the yeah. ladies, uh, who, who cares? Treat yeah. them uh, yeah. as uh, sexual conquests and jokes. Yeah, And it's okay. Everybody's cool with it. <laughs> it was the 80s. What it, do you expect? It, it is true. So this episode, this is the one 
people if you have not seen it, uh, where Riker uh, is on an exchange program and he he chills out on a Klingon bird of prey for a little while. Uh, and what is possibly the shortest exchange program ever, because uh, I think he's on there for probably less than two hours, maybe. <laughs> It seems. Although he has a meal, and he punches a bunch of people, so I guess it's okay. Uh, he punches one of my uh, my favorite actors. That's a, a, one of the reasons I uh, remember this episode. I, oh, I, is the captain? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, he doesn't captain. punch the captain. He punches, no, I'm talking uh, what's his Brian face? Brian freaking Thompson yes. as Clagg. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is a guy who was in The Terminator when he was in high school. I mean, he really was a high school kid when... You know, Arnold goes out there and kills him right at um, the observatory there, uh, along with Bill, uh, the late Bill Paxton, mm-hmm. which really makes me sad. Um, and uh, so Brian uh, Thompson plays Clack. I mean, this is the guy, he was on the first two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> you know, he was the alien bounty hunter in X-Files. I mean, this is, a, this is an actor with... Uh, uh, some gravitas, and he does a really good job there. And he had lovely things to say about um, uh, Jonathan Frakes. Apparently, working with him, he really enjoyed working with him. So, and they seemed to. Uh, there was a really interesting chemistry there that they had in the episode. So, I yes, that. and he's only six three. I uh, in all of his his roles, he's a large man. He always it seems to me like he's a giant, but he's only six three. So everybody else is either short or they just filmed him at angles to make him look like he's very tall. Yeah, and that that whole large man thing was uh, an issue with getting the part because uh, they didn't, in the audition process for this, uh, they didn't uh, they didn't even read him because they found out what size he was. And apparently he wouldn't fit into Christopher <laughs> Lloyd's uniform they used, you know, when Lloyd played um, a Klingon in mm-hmm. Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Which is a movie and you can skip. Yeah, which is a movie you can skip. Um, although Kirk's son is killed in it, so that's, you know, that's a highlight. Uh, so um, the uh, uh, and I thought Christopher Lloyd's performance was actually interesting, uh, interesting part for Lloyd. But anyway, uh, he got really annoyed and he called his agent and said, "You know, hey, can you call the Star Trek people and ask him who's casting this?" show the directors and producers of the wardrobe department <laughs> so they they got him back in they made it uh, they made him a suit that fits so that was pretty you know that shows you how low budget these things were yes they just they have a bunch to, of like, re- musty klingon suit. uniforms <laughs> well it, it harkens back to the day to the original uh star trek pilot where i guess the word was that there was some of the costumes that were actually leftovers from um i'm not sure if it was forbidden planet but mm-hmm. it was another uh another show that they used some costuming from from that i think it was forbidden planet which is uh a movie that oh, I if you're gonna use costumes that's a great yeah that's a great movie to use it from one of my favorites yeah that's a great and yeah it's the like the little uh, i don't know if they're velour or not but little like thing yeah i think they're they're from the forbidden planet uh, Ed Brian Hamilton, uh, what is it? Brian Thompson, not Brian Hamilton. Yeah, Brian uh, he uh, he has been on uh, many variants of Star Trek. So he was in DS Nine, he was in Generations, uh, and even Enterprise. So he's all over the place. Uh, and uh, but he was never on Voyager. 
Neverland Voyager did not get it to Delta Quadrant for some reason. No, didn't get to the Delta Quadrant. It's oh. a pity. It's a pity. Now, the other good <laughs> thing about this episode is the director. You know who the director is? Uh, well, I'm sure Memory Alpha will tell me right now. Uh, <laughs> now That's I know. Rob freaking Rob Bowman. Bowman. So he's like, uh, I think I think he did a, a fine job in this episode. And there's a couple of really interesting shots, uh, up shots and other things. But this is, he's was one of the longtime pro- producers later on in the 90s of the X-Files. Uh-huh. Uh, he even, um, uh, but he directed several episodes, and f- including one of my favorites, uh, the one of the four Darren Morgan penned uh, episodes of the X Files, Jose uh, Chung's from oh. Outer Space. Oh man, that is probably my favorite X Files. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, episode. it's it's uh, it's right there for me, right behind Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. But yeah, number two, <laughs> and he also directed uh, uh, the original uh, pilot to the Lone Gunman. Uh, Gunman, which was the X Files uh, spinoff, the spinoff, and you know he's directed other things like he's directed the Night Stalker. He, you know, he's <laughs> he's a working he's director. All kind, yeah, he's a working director. So, uh, and, and he directed so, the X Files movie, apparently. Uh yes, yes, he did. The internet tells uh, me, so it must be true. Yeah, fight the future. I remember this has nothing to do with Star Trek, but I, I went to see the X Files fight the future movie in the movie theater. Now, I've never been the Biggest X-Files fan? I like the X-Files. Uh, when I was in college, my girlfriend was crazy about the X-Files. Uh, so I would watch it every, I think it was on Sundays, every Sunday we'd watch the X-Files, like clockwork. Uh, I found the movie to be a disappointment. Oh, yeah. And so did my wife, who was a big X-Files fan. She was a huge X-Files fan. She watched every damn episode of the X-Files, even all the bad ones. <laughs> uh, and so she was like, after the movie, she was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> that was what I said. And I can only imagine uh, being a giant X-Files fan and seeing that. Because much like Star Trek, right? You get you're so excited. You're, you're going yeah. to see this movie. And uh, it's, it's sad. Yeah. It was not, it was not <sighs> good. Well, but anyway, back to the matter of honor. Yes, this episode, I think, is not bad. It's certainly one of the highlights of season two. Uh, it has very good moments. Uh, and speaking of casting, so that we have uh, Mordock. Uh, oh, yeah. He's uh, great. Or no, no. It's actually Menden, who is uh, a, 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 a like a cluster mate or something of Mordock, who was on an episode uh, of uh, an episode. I will find the name of the episode right now because somebody is season somebody, one, right? Yes. Yeah, a season one episode uh, coming of age, I believe. Yeah. And uh, I read a little thing where the actor got a call and said, hey, we want you to be back on, you know, this episode in season two. And he was like, great, they must have loved what I did. This is fantastic. Uh, my career is taken off. Uh, he got there and he realized that they wanted him because they had already made the prestigious prosthesis for him last time and they didn't want to spend the money to make another one. <laughs> so, Like they- I said, <laughs> the sky's the limit on the budget. <laughs> That's right. Now, he did a really good job. I'm not saying it, it was no, good no, for he, them. But- he did a really good job. And by the way, uh, I must say the, um, the alien makeup that they did for him and this, the really interesting atmosphere augmentation device, mm-hmm. I just thought that was so cool. It, with the scrutiny of high definition, his makeup does not hold up nearly as well as it did on my no. old. Shit. 
television <laughs> back in the eighties, but uh, it's it's still pretty good. But it, but it was a really interesting design. I like that. The thing where uh, I think the production values on the episode got uh, really cheap was when they went over to the Klingon vessel. Yeah, the the, the Klingon vessels in general. Now I don't know if it is a choice on their part to make them seem like they are just kind of slipshod and and worn and kind of like it feels like you know in Star Wars when you go on to like the Millennium Falcon it's beat up it's going to fall apart uh, in Star Trek you don't generally get that except when you're on a Klingon ship they always seem kind of gross uh, so I don't know if it's a, a choice or they're just you know. Cheap. Yeah, but but the vessel looked like you know your old downstairs family room that the rowdy kids down the block uh, <laughs> tore up. I mean, it didn't look like a spaceship, really. No, but and it's so, dark. I feel yeah, like it's dark. It can't it can't be good to work on this ship. It's dark. There's a lot of red light that must be annoying people. I don't get it, and I have a lot of questions about Klingon society and how they function as a star empire. When everybody's killing each other to for career advancement, everybody seems to be a warrior. Nobody wants to live their full life. <laughs> how, how does a study uh, work? <laughs> well, I would I would guess that they do not have an overpopulation problem. <laughs> well, that is anywhere. true. <laughs> uh, you know, they kind of solved that. Uh, so props to them for that one. That's right. There's plenty uh, of open fields on the Klingon homeworld. <laughs> you know, back in the. Um, Back in the 60s, the Klingons were really uh, a proxy for the Russians. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really uh, the Americans versus the, uh, the Russians. It, it was like kind of a Cold War thing. And in a certain sense, uh, the Romulans also uh, filled that role because, hey, it was the 60s. Everything was black and white. <laughs> uh, Sometimes literally. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Let this be your next. Uh, let these. Let this uh, be your last battlefield. Yes. Let me drop that joke. Really bad joke in there. Uh, so uh, it was a little bit more subtle in in the eighties. You know that it was a little bit more colored. But frankly, you know Captain Cargon, who's the um, he's the captain of the Pa, mm-hmm. and you know the man is just he's an hole. <laughs> I mean, it's he like is. making one bad decision after another. I mean, like, how did this guy survive this long? And so, you know, the thing that bugged me about the episode, you know, we're not these little production nits or thing, uh, things like that. I, I mean, I expect that for... I was just delighted that we had science fiction on television back in the 80s, frankly. And this is like, uh, you know, kids today, they don't know how lucky they are. Uh, it's everywhere. But I just thought, you know, you're making it, you're taking the coward's way out with uh, plotting here and scripting just by making this guy like an an arbitrary douche, mm-hmm. right, to, to, to further the plot. And I thought, that's that's my big downside with the writing of the episode. It's not the, um, it's not the dialogue. I thought the... I thought all the dialogue with Menden was just hysterical and very well done. And the performances, you know, because you got to ride that line between comedy and, oh, there's a huge, you know, virus eating the ship kind of thing. It's like kind of serious, mm-hmm. you, you know, service drama. And then the uh, also the scene in the cafeteria on uh, the pub. 
that, uh, you know, for its time, for the 80s, sexism aside, uh, that was actually pretty funny and it's very well done. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I don't fault the actor for uh, that uh, played uh, Cargan, uh, Christopher Collins, but that was just, you know, that was just chicken poop. That was how to get the whole story done in 44 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's yeah. the writer said, oh, let's put Riker in this situation where he has to attack the Enterprise and his loyalties will be tested. How do we do that? Oh, we'll just have a Klingon captain just randomly decide to attack the Enterprise for no apparent reason. Uh, there's no good reason. He has he's, So the, there's this little thing that's eating away their hull, this uh, micro um, organism, uh, and he just assumes, uh, oh, the Enterprise must have uh, done this. And I'm not going to answer their hails or ask them about it. I'm just going to go in there and blow them up. <laughs> yeah, Spoiler, and, and, uh, he doesn't blow them up. Yeah, he he, he does not blow them up. Well, oh, it's a it's a kind of an interesting sleight of hand and a trick by Riker. You know, clever. Uh, yes, Riker. I did like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool, and I thought the interplay between him and Picard. You know, he's <laughs> when they he finally comes on screen, and <laughs> yeah. just surrender. <laughs> and Picard just obviously thinks it's hysterical. Uh, so. <laughs> That's what I mean. There is so many good points. And then there's mm-hmm. this like gnarly, warty, hairy, ugly thing, you know, stuck to the side of its head, the episode, which is uh, that conceit uh, to, to drive the plot. Uh, yeah. And that's unfortunate. Um, uh, but generally, you know, you get some good character development um, and you get some good dialogue. You've kind of, uh, I don't know if this is the first time you find out this about Riker because they actually hinted at this in the pilot the in the first two episodes of season one. And I think again, sometime in season one, but my memory fails me. I'm old. Why? You know, cause when Riker and Picard are, you know, shooting <laughs> fake the, laser, you know, yes. phaser shots in, in this marvelous set they designed <laughs> In the phaser uh, target practice uh, room, apparently. Not the holodeck. Yeah. He is yeah. the, there's apparently a room that's just for phaser target practice. I, well, I, you know, danger. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're being facetious. If you haven't seen the episode yet, it's an all-black room. They're just standing in a circle, you know, faking firing in the distance or whatever. So it's, it's pretty cheesy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, Riker says that he wants to do it because nobody's ever done it before. Mm-hmm. I mean you can tell it's an interesting aspect of the character. One of the reasons that he does these things is he likes to take these risks. That's why he le- he loves leading the away <laughs> team, right? That's true. He's usually out of his chair before Captain Picard can say, well, yeah, take like, it. let's go down there. <laughs> and and he, he doesn't do it like he's uh, some swashbuckler, but he, it, yeah, I really think it's it's just really nice acting uh, by Frakes to take up that and embrace that part of the character. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Well, there is. It's long. Kind of. This is not my theory. This is a widely held theory that they, the writers, when they were coming up with uh, Picard and Riker, they were kind of like, well, let's take Captain Kirk and kind of split him in half uh, and give Picard kind of his thoughtful. Uh, 
diplomatic kind of father figure uh thing that Kirk every once in a while showed and give Riker everything else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so there you go. Uh, and it's interesting. I was watching this while I, my wife was uh, doing some other things, and then she came and sat down and watched like the last 10 minutes of this episode. Uh, and so she saw his uh, Riker's kind of clever solution to the problem of, you know, the captain – uh, the Klingon captain wants to destroy the Enterprise, and he basically says, who are you loyal to, Riker? And Riker's like, well, I will follow your orders, but I won't give you the secrets to how to defeat the Enterprise. And the Klingon's like, ah, oh, good, that was a test. If you were going to give me the secrets, I would have killed you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and this is, we had learned that the way that people rise through the ranks on in Klingon vessels is they assassinate their uh, uh, officers in, in front of them. So Riker wants to get rid of the captain, what should he do? He should kill him, but he doesn't. He says, oh, don't shoot your weapons until you're within 40,000 meters of uh, the Enterprise, which also we then find out happens to be the range of their transporters. Uh, and then Riker takes this little uh, transponder that he was uh, surreptitiously given by Worf because uh, they're cloaked. And, of course, he gives it to the captain's like, is that a weapon? And Riker's like, no, why don't you check it out? And he looks at it, and he's transported onto the Enterprise. Problem solved. Uh, and my wife Marisa turned to me and said, hey, "Riker's like the the anti Kirk. He, he he used a clever little solution for that." Uh, to which I said, "I think that's kind of a Kirkian solution, really." He, uh, he didn't. Oh, she, I agree with you. Yeah, because he's like you know he he kind of gamed the system. And she was her point was that she thought Kirk would have either uh, kind of punched the captain or uh, seduced someone, which uh, you know also valid. <laughs> Not much seduction um, in this episode. Well, he he did wind up uh, punching somebody early in the episode. He she did. should have watched more of the episode. I know. She missed the punch. <laughs> and uh, the part where he uh, asked if he was supposed to sleep with one or two of the Klingon women. <laughs> Which That's is a problematic. Kirkian. Yes, but that is Kirkian. <laughs> Uh, Kirkian, yes. Oh boy! But at least you know, at least there are women on the uh, the Klingon ship. Cold comfort, I know, to uh, the women who are listening, because the the women officers don't do much except uh, want to sleep with Cap uh, with Riker. But uh, what can you do? They're liberated Klingon women. They can sleep with whoever they want. That's what I say. Yes. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see where that goes. Um, <laughs> The uh, but it was uh, in ter- you know we're making fun of the uh, uh, the subtle misogyny back then, um, mm-hmm. but really and truly that is a step up from the original series. Oh God, yes. Uh, so at least progress. Uh, uh, keep that in mind. So yes, and because you know they they the, it is still in our by our standards misogynistic, right? But they they flip it because the the Klingon women are the ones that want, are looking at Riker as kind of a sex object and wondering if he can survive an encounter with them. Uh, whereas if it was the original series, it totally would have been through the lens of Kirk and he would have been uh, sizing up those ladies. So still problematic, but we're making progress. <laughs> and making progress. And, and hopefully the, uh, the new series that's coming out where I'm actually looking forward to that one. You know, like I said, I skipped Enterprise, but. Uh, I may have to actually subscribe to the uh-huh. damn CBS streaming service for that. <laughs> that's how they get you. Yeah, that's that's how they get. Uh, they'll uh, get my wife and I. She's like, not another damn service. <laughs> uh, so uh, as long as we keep going forward, it, truly into the Star Trek future this way, that would be really nice. So we'll I see. Agree. And I have high hopes for the new one too. But uh, you know, I. Th- 
so I thought this was a, you know, it's not like the measure of a man, which is the next episode, which was no. truly a stunning and I think well-written, uh, well-written episode. I thought that this was interesting in terms of setting the stage for the exploration of Klingon culture later mm-hmm. in the next generation, which they did a lot of starting in season four. Am I right? Season three or season four. Um, that uh, they started doing a lot of. And so this this gets you into that. The other thing is I thought it was great character development for Commander Riker. And I thought it was very interesting for um, uh, the character of Wesley, you know, because here's an episode where you don't want to swat Wesley. Right? <laughs> you want to swat the other guy. <laughs> yeah, you want to swat the other guy. So I thought that was really nice. And I got him to act, you know, he was allowed to um, act like an adult. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, Will Wheaton has commented that uh, working with Rob Bowman, uh, the director, was a delight because on set, Bowman treated him like an adult and uh, gave him the you know the leeway to to do a few things there. So um, I thought those two things were really good for laying the groundwork of stuff later on. Yes, I mean, Wesley, I don't say this often, but Wesley had some good moments in this episode because he, he gets to kind of pull uh, Menden aside and say, you know, I know you're super excited to be on the Enterprise, uh, but, you know, kind of just follow the rules. You made a mistake. It's okay. Captain Picard kind of berated you a little bit, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try again. You know, just follow the rules and you'll be all right, uh, which was nice of Wesley to do. Uh, and I agree with you. So one of the best things about this episode, so for up until this point, the only Klingon we've really seen a lot of is Worf, uh, who's a great character, but he and is- had a great line in this, in this episode, impress me. <laughs> yes. After, be- after Picard gives, uh, Minden the, uh, use the chain. Of oh, that's right. Command. <laughs> that was just, I was just dying laughing. There. And you could see Menden kind of just quaking in fear. Uh, <laughs> And Worf is great, but he is he is so great because he is, you know, he wasn't raised by Klingons. He's kind of an outcast, and the way that he deals with that is that he's going to be the most Klingon Klingon who has ever Klingoned. Uh, so he's yes. going to know everything, and he's going to adhere to everything. He knows everything about Klingon culture. Uh, and so he tells Riker that, you know, he's like, I know everything. Ask me any questions. Riker has a couple questions. And then Riker, of course, goes off and on a whole ship full of Klingons. And he realizes, he discovers, uh, there's a great line where he said, I, I didn't realize that Klingons laughed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had a sense of humor. <laughs> That's right, which is great. <laughs> the only Klingon he knows doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> That's right. Worf, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen Worf. Actually, he has laughed, I believe. But uh, I will say Klingons laugh, at least the Klingons on this uh, ship, a little oddly, but heartfully. So they, they're hearty laughers. <laughs> The interesting thing about the scene in the uh, in the um, the mess hall, especially with Clag, who Clag is jerking Riker's chain at first, you know, mm-hmm. talking about one of the, you know, if he can't eat the food, they'll have somebody uh, give him essentially mother's milk. Uh, Riker actually laughs at the joke, which is grotesque, but uh, later on makes a joke uh, and gets Clag laughing at it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that interplay and the idea that you can you can go and learn something from other cultures mm-hmm. and 
not only embrace the differences, but you can embrace the similarities. Exactly. And I think that that is a scene I don't love, but I think kind of also does the same thing as when Riker's intent forward and is eating all kinds of Klingon stuff. Uh, and Dr. Pulaski comes by and Captain Picard comes by and they're basically all disgusted by the Klingon food. But Riker is just eating it with, uh, you know, with gusto. gusto. Yes. Uh, he's loving it. Uh, and I thought, well, there you go. That's how I, that's you That's what I get it. to the whole adventureness, adventurousness mm-hmm. of the man. So he's like, give, me, part of the character. give it all to me. Uh, and some of that food didn't look very good, but I'm not a very adventurous eater. So uh, I will uh, cop to that right now. Um, and there was another thing I wanted to mention, and I can't remember what it was, so I won't mention it. Uh, but yeah, I think that this episode, you know, teaches us, oh, I remember what it is. So there, the only other weird thing I thought was, so Riker, he uh, goes on to the Klingon ship. He's Everybody's talking in English uh, or whatever they speak. I assume it's English. Um, and uh, then there's a moment where uh, Klang is, uh, says uh, basically to the captain, I don't trust him, but he says it in Klingon. And the captain says, speak their language. Uh, and I thought to myself, that's kind of the height of arrogance to be the only person who is not a Klingon on a Klingon ship and not bother to somehow learn or bring a translator with you. So everybody else has to speak the language that you speak. Yeah, that's also lazy writing. <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs> I agree. That's the real reason. But I just I was like, man, Riker, you could have just brought like a universal translator or something. So everyone does not have to speak English for you. <laughs> Although kudos to the Klingon educational system, because apparently everybody knows Klingon and English at the very least. So they're doing something right. Well, it's kind of like the Internet. I mean, uh, you know, (laughs) English is the language of the Internet for good or ill. (laughs) That is true. Uh, So, yeah, English is the language of the Internet. German is the language of science. And uh, Klingon is the language of combat. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I think we I can sum it up for both of us if I will be so bold as to say, well, this is not uh, probably in either of our top ten TNG no. episodes. It is certainly one of the better season two episodes and lays a lot of groundwork for interesting stuff for for yeah. later oh, seasons. Yeah. No, no, I, and uh, it it is certainly worth watching. And um, uh, now with the advent of Netflix, uh, you don't have to torment yourself. By, you know, waiting through 15 <laughs> minutes worth of commercials to see the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Well, and Don, thank you so much for joining me and re- going down kind of Star Trek memory lane uh, and yes. helping and sharing your love of Star Trek and all things uh, television. Certainly. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. 